Would you like to read or listen to the Bible in a way that makes sense? Experiencing it in chronological order, in the order the events happen, will do that for you. I came up with a new schedule to do that, and I can't wait to share it with you. Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran, and welcome to Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. Our topic for today is why I came up with a new schedule for reading or listening to the Bible in chronological order. So let's get started on our topic. If you've decided you want to read or listen to the Bible in chronological historical order, you need to decide which schedule, what order of reading through the Bible do you want to use. Now there are lots and lots of good ones out there. They're all wonderful. If you don't want to use mine, that's just fine. Just use any one of them. And so you might be wondering, why would I create a new one? I've been reading through the Bible every year in chronological order, and lately I have been teaching through it also. And from that experience, there were adjustments I wanted to make to the schedules. Some of them are big, some of them are little. But I have a whole new one for you. You can download it at www.bible805.com. And now I'm going to share why I did what I did on this. The overall, first of all, some overall guidelines for why I did the schedule in this way. I wanted to keep it at one year. I looked at one years, two years, a year and a half, all sorts of different ones before I put mine together, all kinds of options on timing, but one year seemed the best. That it was in part just a personal decision. That's what I've been doing for over 20 years, and I like it. There's something that is really meaningful to me personally to start out the year, going through the Bible, ending up with finishing it. I just have really enjoyed that, and so I decided to keep it at one year. But I wanted to make some changes. I wanted, first of all, to spend more time in the New Testament. That is literally where we live today, and I thought that just for application and teaching and just growth in our Christian lives, that that would be a really good idea. And also, I didn't want people to bail out early on from only being in some Old Testament books. I know that's really kind of tough going right at the start. I had also some historical and topical dating concerns with some of the current plans. And from my personal study, I felt that some of them were simply incorrect. Uh, as most of you know, I do have a master's degree in history, studying church history. I did serve for a time as a professor, adjunct professor of church history. Um, have studied it as a lay person all my life. I've been to seminary. I've done quite a bit of academic study on this, and there were some things that I just felt were simply not correct, and they kind of bothered me. Also, I didn't care for how some of the plans broke up the books. The Gospels are a prime example where you read uh, part of Matthew, part of Mark, part of Luke, and I found it really distracting, and I felt that there was a real loss of integrity for the whole book. I'll talk about more why I, I put them the way I put them a little bit later. But again, after lots of study and prayer, following is what I came up with, what I did, and why. Some of the reasons are scholarly, some of them practical, some of them I just really felt it would be better to do it this way. But if you're interested in my thought process and why I did what I did, here it is. First of all, 
Proverbs and Psalms, Psalms and Proverbs, are taken out of their typical reading schedule, and I've put it where you read, you alternate with days. One day you read a Psalm, one day you need a Proverb. Now, I did this for a couple of reasons. Number one, I wanted to spend more time, as I said, in the New Testament while keeping it one year, so I had to get rid of a chunk of something, and I realized, well, if I take out Psalms and Proverbs, that will help. Um, so I took them out of the chronological plan and put them in this alternating thing where you read one each day. I'll tell you a little bit more why this really isn't a problem in breaking up the integrity of the books in just a minute. But also the next reason I did it is some parts of the Old Testament are hard to read on their own. And I decided that reading a psalm or a proverb each day would be, you might say, helpful food for the soul. Even if going through a book like Leviticus, let's face it, it's it's a little bit challenging. But if you have this other reading to do also, um, I kind of like that uh, song goes, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Um, maybe that's a trivial way to talk about a psalm or a proverb, but that is why I did that. Also, I want you to note that the reading these books in this way does not break the integrity of the book. As both psalms and proverbs are not continuous books written by one author. Now, let me talk about that a little bit more. First of all, on the psalms, why it's okay to break them up. Psalms were written by many authors, including David, Solomon, Moses, the sons of Korah, Asap, and others. It was written over a very long span of time, actually from the very first psalm to what we can t what we think are some of the last ones, there was an almost 1,000 year time span. They're used in worship, they're favorites of course for all of us in devotions, there are many uses of individual psalms without any connection to the rest of the book, and, and that's just fine. The whole book is often considered a lengthy lesson in prayer on, talk, on talking to God on different occasions when expressing different emotions, fear, joy, anger, repentance, hope, praise, whatever it might be. So I thought, why not spread it out throughout the whole year? The goal in reading it this way is to build a continual practice of prayer in your life, no matter what the occasion. And as I thought about this and I started doing it some myself, I thought, you know, this is just an exciting way to incorporate speaking to God all throughout our lives. The plan then is to read a psalm every other day, but then I change it just a little bit right at the end where the last four days of the year are the final four psalms of really glorious praise as we read the final chapters of Revelation. And I could just sort of hear the uh, thundering of the Messiah in the background, but I, I, I think you'll, you'll enjoy that. Then on Proverbs, why it's okay to break them up. Most of Proverbs is ascribed to Solomon, but other authors also contributed at various times. Most likely, again, a hundreds of years span in the creation of the book. Proverbs, though, continually reminds us of the importance of the application of what we learn from God's word. Eugene Peterson has this great quote where he says, If Holy Scripture is to be something other than mere gossip about God, it must be internalized. And Proverbs helps you to not only internalize the principles of Scripture, but to live them out 
in your day-to-day -day activities, in work, in the works that you do, in your relationships. Now there are some cautions on interpreting Psalms and Proverbs and I'm going to be actually doing um, either one or two, I haven't quite decided yet, rather uh, lengthy lessons on how to interpret them because a lot of people can end up disappointed with God or feeling like the scriptures aren't true if they don't read them properly. Remember Proverbs, this is one of the most important things, Proverbs are Proverbs. They're pithy, memorable sayings that in general are true. Kind of like uh, the saying, a stitch in time saves nine. Now, they're not promises any more than the saying above is. We don't take it literally that if we put nine steps into everything that we do ahead of time, it will always save us time later. We know that's not true. But basically the proverb is saying, um, this saying is saying <laughs> that if you do the work you need to ahead of time, it will save you time in the end. And so um, we, we understand that. But in Proverbs, it's the same way. And people sometimes take them as exact promises, which they aren't. However, there is a much greater chance that your life will turn out well if you follow them. And we need them so much today because we won't get the kind of, pro kind of wisdom that we have in Proverbs from our world. We need Proverbs to tell us these things. And again, I'll have more on that in the lessons about them. To help you with your application of Proverbs and all of your reading, I, I decided, um, I've just done so much that I have for you this year, you can download blank journal pages for each day and on www.bible805 are the download links for these. And I really encourage you to take time and pause and journal after your readings. You'll learn and remember so much more instead of just, oh, I got that done and I'm on with my day. I'd encourage you to write down your thoughts, your impressions, your summaries, your questions. You can write out favorite prayers or favorite verses. You can keep them in a notebook. And yes, it is additional work. Maybe it'll take you an extra five, ten minutes, whatever. But I can't encourage you enough to do this for yourself, for your own review, and perhaps to pass on to others in your life that you care about. Now let me talk about some other changes in the order of reading the books in the Bible. Now let me assure you that none of these were arbitrary changes. One of the reasons why you haven't heard from me from quite a while is uh, I've been literally spending day and night working on these, quite honestly, seven days a week from early morning, um, working on it late at night. I haven't taken a day off for several months just working nonstop on this. Um, I've spent time doing intensive study, comparing resources, commentaries, and a lot of prayer. One of the things that I did is I read the books with historical guidelines in mind. God gave me the education that I have and the background that I have and I think in some ways this gives me maybe a little bit of a unique viewpoint and so I thought well I, I ought to use what God gave me and so I asked these questions. What is the subject matter? What do we know about when it was written? What clues do we have as to the timing and the writer? Now keep in mind none of this, none of it, none of it, none of it is to dispute my belief that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, 
totally trustworthy word of God. This study was to simply date when things are written and therefore the best order to read them in. Most of my dating conclusions are not original with me, but I wanted to confirm the opinions of others and put what seemed best in the Bible 805 reading plan. The first one, and again this is not original with me, but I think it is incredibly important, and that is to read Job early in Genesis. Now here are the reasons why. Jewish tradition and many commentators put it there with Moses as the author. The book clearly takes place at the time of the patriarchs, with the head of the family in charge of sacrifices, and obviously it's prior to formalized worship. It is written in the style of a book that requires a complete reading of the entire book for you to get the application of the book. And that was that uh, way of writing where you told this long story and then you had the concluding summary that was very common at that time. This is one of the most important chronological placements. And in, in the lesson on Genesis and Job, I'll explain why. It's extremely significant. The rest of the Old Testament, one of the most important things is that the prophets are in the historical places when their messages were preached. Few Christians read the prophets, and often, even if they do, they struggle through them. Because the prophets can appear to be just a bunch of angry old guys ranting about various things. And if you don't know the setting and you don't know why they're saying this, it just it's, it's hard to universalize their message. But... When they're put into their historical setting, you see an entirely different picture. Jonah is one of my favorite examples. We um, know about Jonah and the fish and all that, but if you look at the historical setting, you discover that prior to his trip to Nineveh, he was actually a very successful prophet of good things in Israel. He prophesied that they were going to conquer their enemies, and they did. And so you might say that he was just this really popular guy there. And then God calls him to go to Nineveh, who on the political scene, when you look at it at that time, they were a horrible, vicious, violent, scary enemy. He didn't want them saved. He didn't want to leave where he was a popular prophet. I'll be talking about all of that in the lesson about Jonah, sharing more about the political world at that time, what kind of a nation Nineveh was, their extraordinary cruelty, and you can see that there are many valid reasons from a human viewpoint for Jonah to run the other way. Here are some additional benefits of reading the prophets in their proper historical order. Much modern criticism of the Bible believes that the prophets preached and prophesied long after the events they talked about or prophesied about. Scholarly reasons aside, I can't help but wonder how much of this thinking was influenced by the mere fact that the books the prophets wrote are at the last in the arrangement of our Bibles. Now that's trivia probably, but seriously that aside, when you put the prophets' words in their proper historical setting, which for most of them is actually very easy to do. There's a couple of books we're not sure about, but most of them have what I call historical markers in them. They tell you when they were written, who was the king. They have all these other things that you can tell, yes, it was written at this time. You understand why they were giving the warnings they were giving, the controversy and the rage their messages often produced because they were a reaction against what was going on. And here's what's really important. You'll also see the verification of God's hand in history when you see a correct dating 
of when a prophecy was given and then fulfilled. Now one of the most absolutely extraordinary examples of this, and I will again go into it in detail when we get to that lesson, is that the prophet Isaiah prophesied that a king named Cyrus would rebuild Jerusalem. In its proper historical setting, and I'll give you all the reasons for it again when we get to that lesson, which I'll establish in detail, you'll learn that Isaiah made this prophecy over 100 years before Cyrus lived, before someone named that was even alive. Isaiah called him by name under the inspiration of God. This was also before Israel was even in captivity, let alone able to go back to the land. You see, too, the only captivity that they'd seen before was when the northern kingdom was taken off into captivity with Assyria, and they were not allowed to return. So just everything about this prophecy was absolutely extraordinary, but you won't see it if you don't know when it was made and then when it was fulfilled. And there are many more prophecies like this, that when you read these books in proper chronological historical order, you'll see them, and I'll point them out to you. But it is, it's one of the neatest things about reading it this way. The Old Testament reading ends in my plan, um, and not only my plan, but with First and Second Chronicles. And here's why. Chronicles was not written at the same time that the other historical books were written. All the other historical books, Samuel and Kings, for example, were written fairly close to the time that the events took place. Chronicles was not like that. It was written either last or nearly last of the Old Testament books, and it was written as a reminder of Israel's history from creation through nation building through fall and restoration. It's placed last in the Hebrew Bible from historically and even today, and it's a fitting place for it in our reading. Now, a very subjective note on this, because after I decided to do this, I did a lot of research on why other people placed it in this location in their readings, why it's in the Hebrew Bible. I got to thinking about it, and this is just a little subjective note I'd like to share. It seems like God often uses patterns in what he teaches us. For example, Chronicles, as I said, was a review and summary of the previous history prior to their return to the land after captivity. But even before that, we have Deuteronomy, which in many ways was a review and summary of all that had happened before Israel entered the Promised Land. And then in the book of Revelation, in part, it is also a review and summary of the entire story of salvation and the final defeat of Satan before we go into the eternal kingdom. So I just thought it, it, it's kind of neat. We have Deuteronomy at the first section of the Old Testament, then we have Chronicles, then we have Revelation. And again, that's just a subjective thing that, that I thought about. Again, not anything that I would um, uh, fight anyone's opinion on. The New Testament now, we start out with the Gospels. Now, there are three similar uh, Gospels. We call these the Synoptic Gospels. And we will read them as complete books, one by one, not broken up. You see, the point of the different Gospels wasn't to simply retell, you know, three different people retelling the same events, but to structure commonly understood events to different audiences. And when you read the books as a whole, you see that. I, I know I've, I've always found it incredibly irritating. And I used this plan for years and years and years that broke 
come up and I, I never liked it. Um, and then I thought, well, I don't need to read them that way. So um, that's not how we're doing it. There are debates on dating them, the synoptic ones even, but I don't think that's really critical. Matthew, however, it includes many of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Old Testament prophecies, and then again and again and again in the book he says, and this happened to fulfill whatever. And I think that... This is how it is in most of our Bibles, but I think that it's a really good way to start the New Testament because in many ways, Matthew functions as a bridge between the Old Testament and what happens in the New Testament. Now, the Gospel of John, of course, is very, very different. He lived the longest of any of the apostles. He wrote the latest, and I put his Gospel near the end of the readings, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Like with the Old Testament books, the letters are placed within the approximate historical setting in which they were written. In our Bibles, we have Paul's letters and even that his selection of his letters are totally out of historical order. And then the letters written by others. This really doesn't make any sense for our understanding because it's commonly understood that James was probably the first written of all the letters. So it's the earliest letter that you will read after the passage in Acts that talks about him. After that in Acts, when you read about Paul's visit to Thessalonica, you'll then read First and Second Thessalonians. But not all of the letters have such a clear link. So how do we schedule them? So if we didn't have an exact link that said something like, you know, here's the trip to Thessalonica, and then a little bit later you have the letter to them, I looked at perhaps when in the history of the development of the church they would fit. Now, one of the things that's really important when you study the early church is how they struggled with what was beneficial to, to continue to do from the Jewish religion and the Old Testament law. And what from the Old Testament law needed to be completely done away with in emphasizing how Jesus fulfilled the law. Now, there will be a lot more detail on this in individual lessons, but as an example, the book of Galatians, everyone agrees, was one of the earliest because it dealt with this topic as the young faith was working out this changing theology. This was a really, really big deal. It's, it's kind of hard for us today to even grasp what a big deal it was, but it was, and so the early books are all dealing with what was appropriate in the Jewish religion, what do we keep, what do we change, whatever, and um, you know, what, it, what laws do we still have to follow, what is grace, and that's what the book of Galatians deals with. There's very little controversy on the dating of Galatians or James because of these, these issues. With this in mind, in looking at the various topics of undated letters, I put one in particular in a, ver in a new place that I hadn't seen before, but just reading it objectively, um, here's why I did what I did. And that's the book of Hebrews. It is not dated in the book. We do not have an author given for the book. Scholarly, there are a few concrete conclusions about it. There's lots of questions about dating, authorship, etc. So I just sort of stepped back and reread it as a secular historian. What topics are discussed? What is the style? What are the references, etc.? Again, maintaining totally that this is the inerrant word of God. I was just trying to date it. Here are my conclusions. Obviously, 
I don't think it was by Paul. The voice, the writing style, it's totally different. And also the clear statement in Hebrews 2, 3, where he's talking about the message of salvation. And he talks about how the writer talks about how it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now, Paul often talked about how the Lord spoke to him personally. So by this declarative statement, we know Paul didn't write it. He said, Uh, The the author of Hebrews said that the message was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So it's by someone who personally did not know the Lord in his physical life. So it wasn't any of the original apostles. It wasn't the Apostle Paul. As I continued reading the contents and the topics, what clues did they give me in regards to dating? Now the contents suggest that it might have been really early. Again, because in some, in ways very similar to Galatians, it's a detailed, focused discussion of the preparatory nature of the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. So what I did is I placed it after Galatians, which again is all about how the law is set aside because of grace, in, and that's where I put it in our reading schedule. Now this is just, again, one of my little personal asides, one of my personal opinions that is absolutely uh, not um, essential or whatever, but the more I read it and thought about it, I thought, you know, Hebrew sounds an awful lot like the kind of explanation Priscilla and Aquila would have given to Apollos. You know, in Acts 18, 24 through 28, it describes Apollos as a man who had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, but did not understand the place of Jesus in the plan of salvation. So when Aquila and Priscilla took him aside, it said they explained the way of God more adequately. And then it goes on to say that after this discussion, that then Apollos vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, which is exactly what a careful understanding of Hebrews would help you do. By no means do I claim any authority on this, but I think it might be helpful to read it here, regardless of whether or not it might have been the recorded notes of the exchange between Apollos and Priscilla, by the way, both of whom have been suggested as authors of Hebrews. And I think there might be some good evidence for that. But again, um, that's uh, one of the things that we can discuss just uh, you know, for fun, and it, it really doesn't matter with the truth of the book. Finally, the books that the Apostle John wrote before the Revelation. John's writings, it's agreed, are written very late. And I'll share my views um, on more precise dating when we get to those lessons. It seemed good to place them as a review of the earthly life of Jesus and as a view of the church decades into knowing the basic facts about his life. It's also a really great review before the final revelation of Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It will be an exciting journey reading it in this way. So that's why I did what I did. In the weeks of study, prayer, and wrestling spreadsheets for the schedules, there are many times I want to just leave it alone and go back to another schedule. I must confess to you, I had one of the hardest projects of my life uh, putting together the Excel sheets that you'll see as the schedules. I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. I think in big ideas and all that sort of thing. The little details of, of scheduling everything and working it all out, I thought I was going to lose 
lose my mind. I can't tell you how many weeks I, I spent on that, but it just seemed like the Lord wouldn't let me leave it alone. And at the end of it, I am so happy with it. Um, if this is no claim of perfection or total correctness, but I think it's a useful voice into what I consider the great universal conversations about the Bible. I think all of us who write and teach, again, I don't think any one of us has it totally correct. Obviously we don't. We're fallible human beings. But I think all of us, you might say, are somewhat of a chorus. All of our voices, different parts, saying different things that all praise our Lord and teach people about him. I do think though that the order that I'm giving you is historically valid and thematically more so than many others and I trust it will give new insight into readers and I'm going to be sharing much much more historical detail as we go through the Bible in the coming year. Also the content for all of this is available in whatever media you want after I got all of the schedule worked out I'm putting together and I have already have some of the initial things, but podcasts, video, shareable courses, journals, handouts, notes, whatever media you want to take it in, this year I have it available for you. There are links to all of it at www.bible805.com, links to the podcasts, links to the videos, links to the courses, links to downloadable material, whatever you want, consider www.bible805.com your hub. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter on this site and subscribe to the podcast to be part of this exciting adventure of going through the Bible in the order it was lived. That's all for now. Please check out the notes and additional resources at www.bible805.com. If the podcast has been useful to you, please consider supporting it through your donations and prayers. For links on how to do that, again, check out the Bible 805 website. In closing, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey, to a growing knowledge of God's Word, and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.